Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I want to start today by reading a scripture text together out loud. We don't do that very often around here, so I'm going to ask you to join me in reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the first part of the verse. It's going to be up here on the screen. And so gather in some air into your lungs right now, and let's read this out loud together. Say this with me. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Wow. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You know, today we're going to start a new series called Together. We're going to be looking at God's design for relationships. We're going to look at how God designed relationships from the very beginning of creation. Today's message in particular is called Relationships, excuse me, Together, Relationships in God's Image. If we want to understand the intention or the design for something, we have to return to its origin or its beginning. Genesis is the book of origins or beginnings. In Genesis, we see God's own character revealed in what and who He creates. We see that God created everything out of His three-person self or Trinity. God, the eternal relationship, created relational beings called humans to reflect His own image and likeness. Today, we really look at the theology of relationships. We're going to look at the fact that relationships are rooted and grounded in God's nature Himself. We're going to see that we exist for relationships. Now, how many of you are willing to admit, you're willing to make the confession that you actually are really into the Marvel Universe and you watch those movies, okay? Have you ever noticed when it comes to superhero movies that eventually all of them get round to an origin story. All of them go back to the beginning because here's the reality. You can't understand what's going on in the present unless you have the context of the past. Right? The past gives us context. We see there why people, why circumstances, why nations, why individuals and families are the way they are. It's the same way in Scripture. You know, many times when we talk about relationships, we start with us, and that's a mistake. We start with human beings. Our beginning point is let's dive right into marriage. Let's dive right, dive right into sexuality or friendships. We dive right into that stuff and we don't go back. And the only way we can really understand God's design for human beings is to go back to the origin. We've got to check out the beginning we got to see, why are we here? What's this all about? What was God's intention? What was God's vision? What was God's heart? What was God's dream? Because God had something in mind when He made everything. Amen? Do you believe that? And so today, we're going to look at relationships and we're going to start with God, not with us. Because believe it or not, relationships are not about us. They're ultimately about Him. Do you know that everything that exists, everything that has ever come into being, is ultimately for the pleasure of God? And if we understand that and we start there, then we begin to understand why we exist. 
We understand that God actually made us for his joy and his pleasure. And in that, we'll experience our greatest pleasure. Amen? Now, you've got to help me every once in a while with an amen, a smile, a nod, something. Amen. Amen. So if you're taking notes today, and I'm only going to get to two of my three points, but if you're taking notes today, the first point I want you to write down is this. In the beginning, God is a relationship. In the beginning, God is a relationship. Like, what does that mean? Look at Genesis 1, 1 through 3. We're going to be looking at it in the New Living Translation, and this is the opening words of Scripture. The book of Genesis, by the way, Genesis means beginning or origin. That's what the word means, right? So let's look at it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, just a little side note, those first four words show us what creation and existence is all about. In the beginning, God. Before He created, before there were humans, before... There was the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the universe. There was God, right? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. Okay, you're, you're like, what does this have to do with relationships? I'm going to get into that. Because one of the beautiful things about Scripture, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that there's every word, every phrase, every sentence is packed with meaning. You know, you could spend the next 20 years in the book of Genesis alone, and you would be continually mining life-changing truth. You could never exhaust it. It's so deep and wide. It's full of God's nature. And in these first opening verses, God and who He is is popping out everywhere. You can't help but see Him. You just got to dig a little bit. So first I want to look at the word God. In the beginning, God. This is a Hebrew word. And, And by the way, the name God or the title God is used throughout the Old Testament, but many times a different word is used, and it really kind of puts us at a bit of a handicap because every time God's name is used in a different way, it reveals something new and fresh about His character. And in this case, the name God here is Elohim. Well, so what? Elohim. Well, this word Elohim is the Hebrew word which it's really unique, it's really different because it captures two ideas simultaneously. It captures the idea that God is almighty, that He's creator, that He's the one who makes everything, but it also captures this idea that God is both singular and plural at the same time. Isn't that strange? It's one of the few words that can capture the idea that God is both singular and plural. Now, It can be used to describe God. It can also be used to describe God and His heavenly court. Let me explain. The Scriptures show us in Job, in Genesis, in the book of Psalms, in a number of places, that God has a court. He's there, but He also has angelic beings all around Him. And these angels which He created are part of His heavenly court. So sometimes when the word Elohim is used, it means God with His heavenly court. 
okay? But it also means God in His triunity, His trinity personhood, that God is three in one, three persons in one essence, indivisible, right? So it captures this idea that God is both singular and plural. It's as though both God is both one and more than one at the same time. It's the first time we see a hint of God as Trinity in the Bible. Let me continue. God is in Trinity or triune relationship. We see in this text, you'll notice it, we see God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it goes on to say, and the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, and something happened. In that one section of Scripture, we actually have all three persons of the Trinity. First, we have the Father. We see God the Father getting ready to speak. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters that are empty and void, waiting for the spoken word of God to come so the Holy Spirit might go into action and create. But lastly, we see the Word. We don't realize this, but John 1.1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And everything that was created was created through Him, and nothing that was created came to pass apart from Him. That's what the first three verses of John 1.1 say. So we have John 1.1 mirroring Genesis 1.1, and when you put the two of them together, this is what we see. God the Father is speaking. God the Son is coming forth from the speaking of the Father. And God the Holy Spirit is hovering over creation. And right there in that event, we have this miraculous relationship bringing forth life and creation. It's powerful. And then we see here also in this text that God himself is a loving relationship that must create relational creatures. Now think about that. He's a loving relationship. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have engaged in an eternal, intimate relationship that's the pattern for all other relationships and all of other community. Think about this. Marriage, family, sexuality, friendship, community, church, brotherhood and sisterhood, and every other basis of human relationships comes out of God's Trinitarian relationship. Because God by His very nature is self-giving relational love, those He makes in His image are created for that kind of a relationship. Okay, so we see, this is really interesting, um, in John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, speaking of Jesus. Then verse 18 says, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God or Son, think about this, in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, let me back up. John 1, 1. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That word with is a Greek word face to face. So, let's put it all together. This is what happens in the beginning of creation. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this divine, intimate union. 
The Father and the Son are looking upon one another. The Holy Spirit is, is active as well. And as God speaks out of that loving relationship comes creation. So everything God has made is an expression of His nature and His character. And especially human beings. For we are the image bearers of God. So if God is Trinity and He's unity and He's relationship and He's self-giving love, we were created to be the same. Am I talking to anybody? Listen to C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He captures this beautifully. He says this, Notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Think about this. This is before anything He made. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, He was not love. Of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is something quite different. They really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect. Perhaps they are. But that is something quite different from what Christians mean by the statement, God is love. They believe that the living, dynamic activity of love that's been going on in God forever and has created everything else, and that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions, that in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even just a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of a drama almost as if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. When describing the Trinity in the New Testament, the Greek word perichoresis is used, and perichoresis means literally the dance of the Trinity. So this idea that God is this active relationship in unity, indivisible, one and yet three persons in intimacy, and out of that, because of who He is, He must by necessity, because of His nature, He must recreate, He must procreate, He must bring forth family and people like Him. And so if we're going to understand human relationships, we must understand God's intention for them. And we must see that they come out of God Himself. Amen? Takes me to my second point. In the beginning, this God we're speaking about, He speaks, He sees, and He gives names to His creation. He speaks, He sees, and He gives names. Why is that important? Let's look at Genesis 1 again, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says this, then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then He separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. When a person speaks, sees, or calls or names something that they affirm and enjoy, they are demonstrating the nature of relationship. When you speak to someone, it's a relational gesture for good or bad. Sometimes what you're saying ain't good, right? When you call someone by name, it's a sign of knowing their identity. And when you see something or someone as good, you value them and cherish them. So, so what am I saying? Well, in this text, we, say, we see these three things. We see that God 
said, God saw that it was good, and God called it by name. Those are three elements to every relationship. If you're going to have a healthy, good relationship, what do you have to do? You've got to talk. Right? You've got to speak and listen. And, and here's the thing that I want you to see. When God was creating, and this is really important, now listen carefully, a lot of times we read Genesis 1 and this is what we think. We read Genesis 1 and we think God was there all alone and then He created. But that's not what the text says at all. In fact, here's what's interesting. It starts out by saying, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the earth is there and it's kind of void and waiting, waiting for God's work to be done, right? For the painter to go to work, for the artist to begin to sculpt. Okay, but here's what's interesting. Job 38 verse 7 says that at the beginning of creation, when God was making everything, the morning stars and the angels sang and shouted for joy. So let me give you a new picture of what happened when God made the earth and the heavens and He made humanity, made mankind. This is what was going on. God the Trinity was here in His council with all these angels, myriads of angels, maybe billions and billions of angels, and they were watching. He'd already created them. They were watching and waiting. And then God said, come here, angels, come on, move on in here, check this out. And God said, let there be light. And the Spirit went and began to work and bring light. And the, the Word went forth and began to create. And everything began to happen in front of them. And the Scripture indicates at that moment, the angels of heaven were like, yeah! And they began to shout. And then songs erupted in heaven. And everybody began to sing over what God was doing. Now, what does that tell us about God? God's relational. He wants to share what he's up to. He's like us. You ever created something or done something that really like was a part of you and it meant something to you? And what do you want to do? You want to share it not just because you're egotistical, because there's something about human beings that has to say, look at what I made. Why do little children come to mom and dad from the time they're this big? I made a picture for you. And they give you this little picture. And that might be nothing but a bunch of squiggly lines with different colors. And they tell you, this is you and daddy and all the doggies and the kids. And you're like okay, what's that giant round thing with a couple of, what, that's you, daddy. Oh, it's beautiful, right? And we, we act astounded and amazed. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of our creator. And so when God acts, when God works, when God creates, he shares, he wants others involved. It's, it's a big party, and it was a big party. And that's the beauty of creation. What's it say? He said, you know, eight times in Genesis, one, just one alone. It says, and God said, and God said, and God said. God's essential nature is to speak, to create. He's not just talking to what he's creating, but he's having a conversation within his own person and speaking to the angels around him as well. So when God's creating, he's like, watch this, check this out. Light be. Creatures in the oceans and in the skies, be. And he's doing this. And after, of course, we're going to get that in a minute. But every, every time after that, he looked back and he goes, hmm, good. And you can bet they went, yeah, it is good. 
right? All of creation's enjoying and celebrating what God's doing. He said it eight times. Jesus is called, as I said earlier, the Word. Think about this. Jesus is called the Word. It's the Greek word logos, logos. And it means the narration, the story, the explanation of God. Jesus is the story of God personified. He's the full story of all that God is and has done. All His nature and character personified, enfleshed. That's who Jesus is. So when God says, Jesus does. Isn't that beautiful? And, and, and that should tell us a lot about God's nature because for any relationship to be healthy, to be good, relationships have to have talk and listening. They must have communication. There's got to be this back and forth things, right? There's something about being heard. There's something about speaking to someone and knowing you're seen and you're heard. Something profound about it. That's why there's, there's something in us. We're looking for someone to, to be with, right? We're looking for people to have in our life that we can say, hey, this is me. Look at me. With all my stuff, this is me. And we want to be able to share not just who we are physically, but who we are inside, our personhood, right? So we say, this is me. God is like that. He's the Word. The Word made flesh. Right, God said eight times, and angels were present and shouting. And then what? God saw it was good. He saw it was good. Eight times in Genesis 1, it says he saw it, and it was good. He saw it, it was good. Seven times, saw it, it was good, saw it, it was good. On the eighth time, he steps back. He makes man. He makes woman in his own image and likeness, and we'll get to that next week. He finishes that up. He steps back, and he looks at all of his creation, and the man and the woman, the magnum opus, the top of his creation, the very crowning achievement of God. He looks at all of it. He steps back, and like an artist, he goes, very good. And all the angels go, yeah and they start singing songs again. Go look it up, Job 38.7. At creation, they sang and shouted. He saw it was good. He looks, he notices, he acknowledges, he recognizes, and he appreciates the goodness of all he makes. He saw everything he was made those seven times and called it good, and the very last time when it was all finished, he called it very good. Because to see something or someone is relationship. I've shared with you before that the South African greeting, I'm not going to say it right, but Sibona, Sibona. And it means, I see you. And then you're to respond back, something else, Sibona. You know, I, I've been seen. It's powerful because in that greeting, two people are acknowledging that they actually exist. It's as though you're looking at a person and you're saying, I see you and you're real. You're not a figment of my imagination. You're not, you're not just irrelevant. You're not unimportant. You count. You matter. I see you. Well, what does God do when he looks out at his creation, when he looks at you, when he looks at all he's made? He looks at it. He notices it. He saw it. He gazed on it. He beheld it. He was captivated by it. And he says, it's good. It's good. And lastly, he called it by name. You'll notice there that he looked at the, the light and the darkness and he called it day and night. Now, here's something that's profound. He only calls things by names in that first chapter three times. 
But later in Genesis chapter 2, God creates all the animals, and what's He do? He brings them to the man, and He says, I want you to name them. I want you to begin to notice. I want you to look at them. See, this is beautiful. When He looked at the animals, what would He have done? We know that he would have been speaking a different language. We don't know if he was speaking some form of Hebrew or some... I don't know what ancient tongue Adam was speaking, the tongue of heaven. I don't know. But I know that when he looked at those animals, he saw something about their nature that matched what he would call them. So in some ancient tongue, he said, that's a giraffe, and that's an elephant, you know, and he was able to look at them and name them based upon their character and their nature, and that's what God did. He saw it was good, he said to it, he saw it was good, and he called it by name. He calls much of his early creation by a name and then leaves the rest to Adam. Names speak of character, personhood, identity. To speak, to see, and to name something is relationship. And you know this, those of you that are married know this, I mean... Most of the time, my wife and I kind of call each other by pet names, and I know a lot of people do that, hon or sweetheart or whatever, right? Some say babe, right? But every once in a while, we'll just be going along through our day. We're calling each other by pet name. Hey, hon, did you see that? Did you see this? And then all of a sudden, my wife will drop a, Doug. Now, if she uses my middle name, it's over. <laughs> Unfortunately, my middle name is Doug, so... A lot of you didn't know that. My first name is actually Timothy, right? So, so, so my wife will be going along. We'll be sitting in the house just kind of hanging out, and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden she'll go, Doug, and I will immediately be like, whatever I'm doing, you know, have my phone in my hand, and, and yeah, 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 uh-huh, sure, yeah, 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 and then she's like, Doug, and it's like, whoosh, turn it over, set it down, and she always knows. I, I joke back with her. I go, yes, Peggy, <laughs> and boom, we're on. We're engaged. Why? Because a name is an identity. It's her way of saying, I'm addressing you, no one else in the room. This is you and me. And when she calls me by my name, I can't explain it, but I get my attention immediately. Yes. Yes, love. Yes, Peggy. What do you want to say? Right? We're connecting because when you call someone by name, You acknowledge their value and their personhood. And that's how God is. God speaks, God sees, and God names. Because God is relationship. And so if we're going to understand how to do marriage, if we're going to understand how to do friendship, if we're going to understand in this age of crazy mixed-up sexuality what true sexuality is. If we're going to understand any of the things going on in our world that have to do with human interrelations and human beings' relationships with their Creator, we've got to go back and look at original intention. I'll just end it with this thought. When Jesus is talking to people gathered around Him and some Pharisees and other leaders come to Him, His own disciples are there, and they begin to bring up to Him the subject of marriage, and divorce, and remarriage, and they bring all that up to him, Jesus immediately says, yes, Moses allows this, 
But in the beginning, it wasn't so. And he goes all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. I figure if Jesus is going to do that, we should follow his pattern and go back to the beginning. Because if we want to understand human relationships with each other and with God, we've got to understand what God originally intended. We've got to go back to the origin story and look at it. Amen? Does that make sense? So to see, excuse me, to speak, to see, and to name. Out of his triune being, God created us. He made us. And that's why we are the way we are. Now, I will say this. Something happened that distorted that or twisted that. And we're not quite what we were meant to be at this point. But we're on our way to being remade into something beyond our wildest imaginations and dreams. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? In the beginning, God is a relationship. Amen? In the beginning, God sees, excuse me, God speaks, God sees, and God names us. He sees you. You know, as I close here today, I think it's really important that each of you know that you're seen. I know there are people in this room You're maybe battling with depression. You're going through a terrible thing in a relationship. You've been rejected. Maybe you've even done some things yourself that you're totally and completely ashamed of. And you don't know how to escape it. You don't know how to get out of it. And what I want to say to you is that God sees you. Amen? He sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. By the way, there is no human life in this room that's any less valuable than any other human life. There is dignity and purpose and meaning in all of you. You are all the image bearers of God, and I don't care how dark and dirty and messed up your past looks like. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He calls you by name. You've probably heard this before, but I heard somebody say years ago that Satan calls us by our sin, but God calls us by our name. Amen? Satan's not going to be the voice that prevails in this place today. God, God's going to be heard and is being heard. Some of you in this room may have a really distorted image of God. And you need to see him in a newer and clearer way. Some of us have had really damaging relationships. We can't even imagine that God has something better for us. But I want to tell you today that God has a a relationship for you and a restored image for you. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. That's relationship. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. That's his face and give you shalom, that is peace. Give you shalom in your home. Go with God, he goes with you. God bless you.